Jesus' brother James is one of the significant church leaders in the early days. The Gospels tell us a very different picture of Jesus' brother James than what we get in this letter. It's easy to imagine that if you're Jesus' brother, it's hard to swallow that he is the Savior of the world. Many of us have siblings. Imagine your sibling telling you, I'm the Savior. Most of us would scoff, and we see in the Gospels that Jesus' brother is no different. And yet, Paul writes, another early church leader, that Jesus, after the resurrection, specifically appears to James. And so James gets to see the resurrected Jesus. And this completely changes his life, changes his mind, and he becomes one of the strongest proponents of Jesus Christ and a life of following him. And this letter is written to the church scattered all over the, uh, all over the world as a way of saying, this is what it means to follow after my brother, our Savior, Jesus. And so as we read... Let's uh, begin with a word of prayer. God, we know that these are, these are your words, that you inspired uh, your servant James to write them for our benefit and for our good and for the building up of your people. We trust that when they were first read and heard, uh, your church and your body was blessed. And that just as we have been fed and nourished through the body and blood of your son, our Savior Jesus, in communion, that you will also feed and nourish us through your word, the voice of your son. And so fill us with his spirit, the Holy Spirit, so that we may listen well. In Christ's name, amen. We're going to be diving in at verse 5 of chapter 1 and then skipping ahead a page to chapter 3, starting at verse 13. James, as a letter, is not written how you and I might write a letter. Now when we format letters, we often have uh, bullet points, or we use Roman numerals, or we use numbers, and so we'll say, you know, point number one, and then we'll talk all about it, and then we'll put a break, and then at point number two, James instead wants to write a letter that says what he wants to say, says it, and then says what he said, right? So the old, some of us who remember preaching in the old days, that fell flat, right? Some of us who remember, like some of us were, who maybe went to seminary years before, that was the way that we were trained. You, you say what you're going to say, and then you say it, and then you say it again. And of course, what James does is he wants to write a letter So that when everyone is done hearing it or having read it, they're not thinking, hmm, now what? That they, after having heard the letter, will immediately be able to go out and put it into practice. They will remember what they've heard and they will be able to leave the worship center and go out and practice it. And so that's why James writes his letter in a thematic way. 
He talks about wisdom, not just in chapter one, but also in chapter three, and there are echoes of it other places. James sort of comes back to these main central themes. And so as we work through James, we're going to be working through it in a thematic way. We're not going to read the first chapter, the first half of chapter one, and then read chapter two. We're going to kind of be skipping around, but it's because of the themes that James is picking up. And the theme this morning is the question of what goes on in our hearts and minds when we face trials. What's going on in our heart and in our mind when we face trials? And for that, in order to respond well, we need wisdom, the right wisdom. So let's read. Again, chapter 1, verse 5. If any of you lacks wisdom, notice this follows immediately from the theme verse, consider it pure joy, brothers and sisters, when you face trials of many kinds. So if any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt, because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind, and that person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is double-minded and unstable in all they do. Just a quick note, the word double-minded there, uh, most folks believe that James is the inventor of that word. It really doesn't appear before uh, the letter of James shows up on the scene. So James is specifically using a word to say, don't be like that. Now we're going to skip ahead to uh, chapter 3, verse 13. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let them show it by their good life, by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. Yet if you harbor bitter envy, selfish and ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. For such wisdom does not come from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you will find disorder and every evil practice. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere, and peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. Thanks be to God for his word. When we face trials, uh, our response, there's something that goes on inside of us, right? Trials are those things that we do not wish for ourselves, right? When we get in the car and go back home, no one is secretly wishing, I really hope my tire goes flat and I get stranded on the road, right? No one's thinking that. So if our tire goes flat, It's a trial because all of a sudden something that we did not expect, that we did not want, is put in front of us and it impacts the way the rest of the day unfolds. No one of us is going to the doctor for an annual physical and hoping for bad news, hoping that when the blood work comes back, there will be something significantly wrong with us. Now, if we have something wrong with us and we go to the doctor, we hope they tell us what's wrong. But if we go healthy, we don't want to struggle. We don't want trials. And James is not telling us to seek 
without trials. Don't put yourself in the midst of suffering. Don't do that on purpose. But when you face them, consider it pure joy. But this morning, James is asking us to wonder about what goes on inside of us. What is the wisdom that drives the way we respond to the trial? It could be lashing out. It could be stuffing it and hoping it'll go away. It could be putting ourselves in a separate place from everyone else, cutting ourselves off. It could be blowing up so that everybody gets hit by the shrapnel. It could be uh, losing our faith. It could be stepping toward faith. And James is not talking so much about the symptoms, but what sits underneath that. And, and there's three main activities, or there's three main senses that sit underneath. The first is that when we drive over a nail and we get a flat tire, we think God is punishing us. Now, very few of us, when we go over a, a nail and our tire goes flat, turn to the person in the car next to us and say, yep, you know, I forgot to pray this morning. And so God is giving me a flat tire. We don't actually say that, but there's something inside of us that our inclination when we have a trial, when something goes awry, we believe that God is punishing us, that God is lashing out at us and treating us poorly. We feel guilty. That's one. A second way is not so much that we have done something wrong, but we are wrong. We are a problem. Not we've made a problem, we've done something that's caused the problem, but we are the problem. And what this feels like is a very clear sense of, I deserve this. I am worthless, and so I deserve a flat tire. I deserve to have these horrible things happen to me. And the third way we respond, so we have, I must have done something wrong, I must be wrong, or we respond by immediately blaming everyone else. We drive down the road, we drive over a nail, or a tire goes flat, and it is clearly the fault of the careless people who don't put tarps over their trash when they bring it to the dump. And we are never at fault for anything. It is always someone else's fault. Now, James doesn't just note we need the right kind of head we also need the right kind of heart when we're going through trials because these three ways of responding to trial don't just sit with us. They don't just impact us. If I feel guilty or I am worthless and deserve this or I, obviously with the blaming, it shows itself in how I interact with other people, how I live this out. And that's what Paul is talking, or uh, James is talking about in chapter 3. 
Listen, listen to verse 16 as he, he talks about the way this shows itself if we have the wrong kind of wisdom. 15, such wisdom, sarcastic quotes, doesn't come from heaven because it's envious. It is selfish ambition and there you find disorder and evil practice. Bad wisdom assumes that someone must be winning and someone must be losing. And I am either the loser in this or someone else is to blame because there is a problem. And I just want us to think for a moment about the descriptor words in James here and what is going on in our world. in the polarization of our society. If you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, there will be disorder and every evil practice. Earthly wisdom. When things happen to us, when we have trials, when we face things that occur in our lives that we do not want for ourselves, we have a default response. We always respond in some way. There is always something that sits underneath it that will drive the way we act, the way that we think, the way that we will interact with other people. And it is not hard to see in the world where we are living, that the earthly wisdom that pervades, that exists all around us, that encourages us to hold on to, is a wisdom that says, it's not my fault. Someone else must be to blame. It is someone else's fault. It is not my fault. Someone else must be found guilty. Someone else must be to blame. But that, of course, leads all kinds of terrible directions. Division, disorder. Consider a church that is trying to discern whether or not the wise decision that God is leading is to step out in faith, to lead a certain direction, to pursue a certain kind of ministry, to go, uh, whether it's a building project or a ministry or a mission or a cause or to support someone. If what is driving this is the sense that someone will win and someone will lose, it's not going to become a unified body that gathers around the table and celebrates with one another. The gracious gift of God. Instead, writes James, what we must ask for when we face trials and do not understand when we face trials and do not respond in the way that we want or in the way that we are called to is found in that fifth verse immediately after. Ask God. And in many ways, that's the only practical application that we take home with us this week. 
to be honest about the way that we respond to trial and then ask God for the pure, peace-loving, considerate, submission, submissive wisdom of God. To recognize that we are not going to be helped by those around us with earthly wisdom to understand and make sense of what is happening. But we are called and we are invited, we are brought in to ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault. What a beautiful phrase to characterize our asking. We ask if we feel guilty asking. And God comes to us and says, do not feel guilty about asking, ask away. If we come as one who says we are a problem, that there is something wrong with us, God does not say you are the problem. He says, ask away. And I will give generously to you. For the one who asks who lacks wisdom, who lacks understanding for what this trial is doing in our lives, for how it is shaping us, how it is forming us, how God is using us, what what he is up to in this. We are to ask God and not doubt, not be double-minded, not going back and forth and wondering, but to ask and to trust that God will give generously out of the storehouses of his grace. James then writes, the way that we live this out, the way that this wisdom becomes practice, this heavenly wisdom becomes practice, is when we look in the mirror and we see that Jesus Christ is inside of us, that we are led and not by selfish ambition and bitter envy, but by peace-loving, consideration, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere, and recognizing that the person of Jesus, the fruit of the Spirit in us, is being acted out. So however we are when we face trials, let us ask and believe. Let's pray. Gracious God, uh, some of us saw ourselves in those uh, characterizations of responding to trials. And some of us maybe need to be a little more honest about uh, how we do respond in trial and how we imagine you to be. God, we need wisdom. We need uh, a wisdom that is uh, a faith, an assurance, a trust, a belief, a knowledge that then is practiced. And God, our society doesn't help us with this. It tries to encourage us to find answers on our own. 
And yet, God, sometimes you don't give us the answer. Sometimes you ask us to simply believe and to trust and to rest. But the trials we are going through are forming us and shaping us. So we do ask God for your wisdom. Whatever trial now comes to mind, we pray for wisdom in how to speak or not, how to act or not, how to be or not. To be filled with and full of your heavenly given wisdom. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.